0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Makaitis. Well, this episode is a special honor, episode 15, with Mr. David Allen and. David Allen is a key person I had imagined having on this podcast in terms of like one of my top 10 dream guests months and months ago when I first conceived of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. And and here he is. He's been so gracious as to, to give us an interview. So it's exciting. And I'm just saying, Amy Cuddy, Pat Lencioni, Robert Shaldini, I'm coming for you in a fun, friendly way as opposed to a threatening way. Uh, great voices with great perspectives, all that need to be shared here. So you're to come away with some some great stuff here. So David Allen is famous for his Getting Things Done or GTD system. About half the folks I talked to were blown away that we, we got him. And half the folks said, I've never heard of that guy. What What's the big deal? So if you find yourself in the latter camp, please have a thorough listen to this. And definitely check out those extra resources available at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep15 to see how you can start integrating these pieces into your life because it makes a world of difference, a world of difference in terms of feeling that sense of, of peace and clarity uh, in your brain and your stuff and eliminating all the stress that comes from just too many things on our mind, distracting us and having us inappropriately engaged with our surroundings, as uh, David would say. So in this episode, there's uh, some fantastic takeaways, including one, why write it on your butt. Can be a valid system. Two, the core principles, science, and practices underlying GTD, the world's most used personal productivity system. And three, how to cultivate that space our brains need to generate power and creativity. A little bit about David here. David Allen is widely recognized as the world's leading authority on personal and organizational productivity. He's an author, consultant, international lecturer, founder, and chairman of the David Allen Company, which serves over 40% of the Fortune 100. His 30 years of pioneering research, coaching, and education has earned him recognition by Forbes, Fast Company, and many others as one of the world's most influential thinkers in the arena of personal productivity. PC Magazine called him one of the top 100 to follow on Twitter. I and his 1 million plus other Twitter followers are in agreement with that. His book, Getting Things Done, has sold about 3 million copies in 30 languages And his Getting Things Done, or GTD, system has given rise to a really thriving industry of websites, blogs, and software applications. Here's David. Well, David, it is such an honor to have you here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Happy to be here, Pete.
0: Thanks. And so I've been wondering, and I haven't found anywhere else online, could you share with us just real quick a little bit of, for starters, your story, the rationale that inspired you to kind of get up and move from California on over to Amsterdam just recently.
1: Uh, lifestyle adventure shift. Uh, just, you know, one of those sort of inner intuitive things, kind of time to shift perspective, focus, shake it up a little bit, get a new uh, new lease on life and work. And there were some good business decisions as well as just aesthetic ones. Catherine and I had fallen in love with Amsterdam. We'd been there a couple of times already and uh, wanted to be in Europe. Uh, we're franchising our training programs around the world and Amsterdam is much more the center of the world than Santa Barbara was, uh, in terms of, you know, where this work is spreading. So all of that kind of came together. We don't have kids And, and, you know, our work became much more virtual anyway. Our, our little company is, you know, pretty much scattered around the world. So it didn't really matter at a certain point when I felt the organization was self-organizing enough that, uh, I could free myself up to just be the resident global crazy man.
0: Oh, so, <laughs> that's, that's great. That could be on your business card there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so tell me, so you've made a number of shifts and had a number of jobs over the years. Could you kind of lay out a, a few of those jobs and share kind of how that informed uh, kind of your inspirations and, and, and principles that behind GTD?
1: I was a good number two guy. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I wanted to find God truth in the universe, so I was off into sort of a self inner and outer exploration game, you know, in terms of personal growth. And so the material world wasn't particularly that important to me, but they, you know, that didn't pay the rent. So I had to pay the rent, but I had friends who were aspirational and were starting their own businesses and whatever. So I was a good number two guy. So I helped, help a guy manage a landscape company. I helped a couple of friends start a restaurant in LA. I, I sold vitamins with another friend. I helped a guy start a travel agency. So I just kind of showed up and said, okay, well, hmm, uh, how can I help you do what you're doing? And, uh, you know, I helped improve their processes systems. Now they call that process improvement, fancy word, mm-hmm. Basically, I was just lazy and efficient. I, you know, come on, there's gotta be an easy way to do this. And, uh, then I fix it and then get bored and then go on to something else. Then I discovered they pay people to do that and they call them something called consultant. Wow. Now I are one. So 1981, hung out my shingle just sort of, okay, I guess that's what I'm here to do. Or at least that's what sort of floats my boat more is instead of, tying myself into any one particular job or profession to say, how can I help people do what they're doing? So, you know, in a way I've always sort of thought, you know, assumed I was an educator. So I wasn't quite sure what form that would take. Um, And so, and that plus my interest in clear space, you know, I martial arts and spiritual practices, whatever I've discovered, how much easier to and I frankly more productive you are uh, if you don't have anything distracting and bothering you in your head. And the, the sort of peacefulness and the freedom of, of, of being able to put your attention where you want it. So I was hungry for those techniques. And then I found out that those techniques that I discovered for myself turned around and use those for my consulting clients. And they produced the same result. More focus, more control, more of a sense of being on top of my world instead of buried by it. And so I, that was the beginning of the development of, and sort of cobbling together and clarifying and, and honing this, you know, then this holistic methodology, which then became known as getting things done or GTD once the book got published 25 years later. But it took me that long to actually figure out that what I'd figured out was unique and nobody else had done it and that it was bulletproof.
0: Oh Well, so let's let's get into it here. It seems like among my friends, about half of them are like, oh, my gosh, David Allen, that's I'm so jealous of you. You're getting to talk to him. And the other half are like, wait, who's that? I, I'm confused and I'm and I'm appalled. And so I think they need to know everything that you have to share here about this methodology. So, could you kind of lay out a little bit of boy? I know you could do a a two-minute version or a two-day version or or more, but could you say what are kind of the the essential principles or or building blocks or kind of what is GTD or getting things done?
1: It's really about being appropriately engaged with your commitments in your world, you know, at all those multiple levels of them. And appropriate engagement doesn't mean you need to finish getting cat food or getting a life or you know, restructuring your department or hiring the assistant or launching the ad campaign. It just means that you need to be appropriately engaged with that commitment. And appropriate engagement means I need to have decided what those things are. I need to decided what I'm going to do about them, if I'm going to do anything at all. And park the results of that in terms of some sort of external reminder system. Your brain is really a crappy office, Pete, come on. All right. And, you know, the, the cognitive scientists have now proven that. You, you try to keep track of more than about four things in there that you need to get done, you're, you're screwed. You're, you're, you'll be <laughs> toast. So the, the whole idea of building an external brain and then populating it with the appropriate data and the appropriate contents, which requires a thinking process. You can't just put mom on a list and assume that's going to get her birthday off your mind. You need to decide what's the next step. Am I committed to give her a party or not? And so there's some thinking that has to be done to, to appropriately engage with your stuff. So basically it's, it's, it's a, you know, capturing the things that have your attention, deciding what you're going to do about them, if anything, and then parking those results into some trusted external system. So that you can step back and let your mind release itself from the job of remembering and reminding, but let it then do what it does well, which is look at your options and then make good intuitive choices about what to do and what not to do. But you can't do that in your head. So that's. That's a way to think about what GTD really is, is that those set of best practices.
0: And so you talk about a trusted external system. uh, What does that look like in practice? I mean, I guess some people will say, oh, you mean like my calendar? I've got that. And and I put my uh, commitments in terms of particular people and and times on that. Or kind of what are some of the other elements of the system?
1: Well, hey, I trust if I'm going to the store, I have the post it on the fridge that has everything we need, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, that, that me and my life partners come up with that's a trusted system. And assuming that you're going to look and grab the post-it when you go to the store, you know, trusted system includes your behaviors with it. A trusted system could be, I've got 43 people on this whole floor, the fifth floor of this major office building that are all, you know, at my beck and call. And so all I have to do is walk around and spew ideas and then, (laughs) you know, appropriate people that are paid sufficient amount of money, pick it up and then make it happen. That's a trusted system too. So, you know, anything and anything in between. Basically, it just means so that my head does not have to keep track anymore based upon the commitment.
0: Oh, perfect. And, and you've sort of laid out a, a sort of a, a deliberate idea of being kind of technology or, or tool agnostic as you, as you lay out these things. So some folks will use their OmniFocus for Mac. Some people will use their smartphones. Some people use Trello. Some people just use pieces of paper. And, and like you said, you're saying any and all of those are, are just fine.
1: Yeah, write it on your butt. doesn't matter. As long as you have it somewhere that you'll see it at the right time, you know, none of, that, none of that stuff really matters. And that's the problem. Most people want the tool to fix them as opposed to the thought process. Once you have the thought process, you can make anything work. If you don't have the thought process, none of it works. You're, you're just going to be rearranging incomplete piles of unclear stuff, which is what most people's organization system really is.
0: All right. Well, I think write it on your butt may very well be the, the pulled quote that we <laughs> use on the blog post, if that works for you. <laughs> Sure, why not? Yeah. That's fun. So so then what are the, the benefits if you do or if you're doing the, a fine job of that, you know, you're collecting your stuff, you're processing it, it's, it's neatly organized and to an external trusted system. You talked a little bit about the brain science, like what are the kind of takeaway benefits that people experience? I guess part of it you mentioned is kind of that, that psychic feeling of ah, oh, I have more focus control and, and feeling on top of things. What are some other kind of hard benefits that that folks have seen or the research has shown to be present? Bottom
1: line is you have more room, more room to think, more room to to make good decisions, more room, actually just more room in terms of uh, space in your head. I mean, how much time does it take to have a good idea? Zero. Doesn't take time. It takes room. You need if you're worried, distracted, got static and residue in your brain, hard to have a creative idea, hard to be present with your kids, tuck them into bed, hard to watch your kids play soccer instead of being on your iPhone. You know, so you need space. And so really the creation of space, how you use that space will be dependent on you. I've got a big champion that's a rock guitarist, right? So he uses space to get more music ideas. I'm coaching a CEO right now that's using space to get more strategic ideas about how to deal with the U.S. government. I've got another CEO I'm coaching right now to to get more space to be able to get more traction on the creative ideas that he's coming up with because, He's highly, highly successful, but he feels like he's he's just hitting his stride and he needs more room to, you know, add more creativity to his life. So, you know, (laughs) you know, I just read, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s reading Getting Things Done. I saw that tweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So you ask him Wow, he's, you know, (laughs) so what you do with room is highly individual to you. I just discovered the algorithm about what what provides it.
0: And, and so and you've said many times, and I think that makes great sense, you say your ability to generate power is directly proportional to your ability to relax. And, and so to that, you're talking about that notion of room. And, and so power can be creative ideas or um, other um, outputs of power. Yeah.
1: Sure. Any, any kind of effective effectiveness to affect or to affect, you know, to create an effect whether that's cook a great spaghetti sauce or have a great conversation with your kids or just amble around with your dog on a walk in the park. Well, that's power as long as that's the thing that you're focused on. So, so you know, it, it, it really is about being free to be fully available to whatever, wherever you want to put your attention. Okay. So that's you know, that's a, probably the best way to think about, for me anyway, that was the big driver for me to figure this out, and it's certainly the, a way most of the people who have experienced the success of applying this methodology would describe it.
0: Okay. So I'm curious then, in practice, all that sounds like great stuff and, and we want more room and more power and more creativity. So what are the key things that folks, I guess, need to do but generally don't do in order to, to reach those outcomes?
1: Write everything down that's, that you've got attention on that you might need to do or decide or some, you know, do something about and then decide the very next action on those if there is an action involved. Those are the two probably you know, core elements to begin with that most people don't do. You know Most people do some of it, they do a little bit of it, but most people have some stuff in an external system and most of the stuff in their head and they don't trust either one. You know, so it's not worth keeping up with the system if you don't trust that it's every phone call you need to make and every project that you have. Why would you trust your calendar if you think it's only half complete? right? You're going to have to take it back in your head in order to be able to do that. So that's, you know, first of all, just externalizing all of these potentially meaningful things and deciding very specifically what you need to do about them. Those do not happen automatically. They don't happen by themselves. You're not born doing it. You actually have to learn to do that. And it actually is a a cognitive muscle that you have to uh, develop
0: and so could you walk us through there when you talk about uh, what is the next action is kind of the, the key question associated with you? You're responding to some stuff and, and you're seeing what that looks like. I, I think that sometimes the, it, it sounds a little – it sounds simple, maybe even obvious for folks to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I can do that. But a lot of times they fall short. Could you maybe give us some examples of how people – don't really get a handle on their next action, even if they think. So you said that maybe they have mom written down on on the post-it note, and that's not quite the same thing as zeroing in on the next action.
1: Correct. Like, what are you going to do about mom's birthday? Oh, I don't know what to do. Well, if you had to <laughs> do something about mom's birthday, what are you going to do? Oh, god. You know, I guess I need to call my sister and see what she thinks. Good. Now you have a next action. But it's that decision making process that people often resist, you know, for for multiple reasons. But you know, getting real clear about what, what would move the needle on this. See, most people, there's the perfectionism inside of us and it's the creative, sensitive people that can think, oh, my God, if, if I start moving on it, there's too much I have to think about it, and it has to be perfect. And so I quit. And so most people actually avoid that, that decision making. And you don't have to make it perfect. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to plan the whole thing. Just well, what's the very next step? that you would need to take to, to do some planning, to get some information, to move you forward. And that's such a powerful concept. Surprise me, I didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't boring knowing this. I had a guy, a mentor of mine, that, that walked me through that process with my own stuff, and I watched how transformational it was. I went, wow, you know, that's not something that we, we sort of automatically or naturally do. You'll do it when the crisis forces you to, or when the heat on the situation, or the pressure on the situation forces you to, yeah, you'll decide a next step. But that may not be the most intelligent next step. You really need to make that decision when it first shows up as opposed to when it first blows up. That is training. You actually need to train yourself to do. Believe me, you know, I'm working with, you know, with uh, made some of the most sophisticated, brightest, sharpest, successful people on the planet. And it takes them a year to learn that habit to make sure that they never let anything lie fallow longer than a day or two before they decide, wait a minute, what's the next step on this thing that I need to do. So you know, it, it, is, it is a trainable event, but it's not something that happens automatically.
0: And, and I love what you have to say about the it's often the, the bright, creative, sensitive people who have the, the capability of freaking themselves out kind of faster and more dramatically than others. Like what, one yeah. of your favorite sections of, of the book when you said a lot of people put themselves in jail just glancing at their 1040 tax forms.
1: Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's the kind of thick and and, and not so sensitive people that, that you ask them to do They go, OK, duh, 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 they just start moving on it because they're not aware of all the stuff that could go wrong. <laughs> so, you know, so, yeah, you, know, you, you have to quiet that demon inside. And the best way to quiet it is to get to a very real, physical, simple, you know, physical action. You know, a lot of people say, well, the next step is I need to set a meeting with my staff. Well, great. How do you do that? Oh, well, I could call them or I could uh, task my assistant or I could send an email. Decide. If you don't decide, then there's a part of you that's still not appropriately engaged with that thing yet because you know there's still something you haven't that you are accountable for making a decision about that's going to have to move the needle on keeping this commitment. And if you don't get it down to the next action, you're not appropriately engaged yet.
0: And so I like that as even as we were speaking, talk about getting a meeting with some people that, that makes me think of, ah, oh, there's a meeting I need to set up with some people. So I'm curious, like real time in conversations as, as you're living life, how do you optimally, maybe for you personally, collect, capture that piece of stuff, that, that thing that just that pops up in your world? Do you, do you have like a, a note card you're writing it on or is it in your phone? Do you sort of yeah. like excuse yourself? Oh, I'm sorry. I just have to capture this. And, and what do you say when you do that?
1: Yeah, all that. You know, I carry pen and paper with me. That's no no wireless required, no, you know, no Wi-Fi, no batteries. So low-tech is the easiest way to capture the stuff. And I throw it in my own in-basket, my own physical entry. So I've got notes right now. There's, I'm looking at them right now. I've got several notes I've just thrown in there from telephone conversations i would had, from input I just had. And I haven't had time to sit down and, and haven't taken the time to sit down and decide what's the next step, but I'll drive that to zero you know, before the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, any kind of capture mode, and you could digitally capture. Digital is a little dangerous because out of sight, out of mind. You may forget where you stuck it in there. Whereas physical is in your face, so it's a lot, lot easier to capture low tech and then put that in my face, and then throw it away once I determine what I'm going to do, and then go into my digital world and park reminders. Uh, but those are very different things. The capture mode and the organized mode are very different things. Most people don't understand that. Most people think that I have to make a list and that's, that's their organization as opposed to, no, you dump stuff out of your head first and then you retrace your steps through each one of those and decide what's the next step on it, what am I going to do about it, what does this mean to me, and then you create an organization system. That's why the GTD process has the five stages of how you get things under control, which is you know capture and clarify and organize and then reflect on all that so that you engage appropriately.
0: And so I guess I'm wondering, I think many of us feel that there's sort of like a nonstop go, go, go that people and and things and calls and appointments kind of getting after our time. And so what you're describing really does require creating a, a chunk of space and time and, and focus to to go through some of this this processing, organizing, thinking. And could you share a bit about what kind of time does that require for you to – sort of shut out the world, I guess on a, on a daily or a weekly review recurring basis?
1: Well, there's kind of daily stuff to do and there's weekly stuff to do. A daily stuff to do is just be aware that you need 30 to 90 minutes of white space a day just to process new incoming stuff. Your meeting notes, your emails, your voicemails, your texts you know, the things that have come at you as well as the ideas you woke up with in the morning and, you know, and the things you're thinking about that you need to deal with with your life partner and your and your business partner. So those are the things that, you know, if you're sitting down and just going through the okay, now, wait a minute, I need to capture those ideas. I need to then decide the next action. I need to park those where they need to go. And or handle the two-minute things. As you know, the two-minute rule is really cool because a lot of those things you can just finish in two minutes. You should do, do them when you think of them. And that it, in and of itself, just to keep your in-basket backlog down to zero or as, lo- as minimal as possible, it takes you an hour, hour and a half a day for most really busy professionals. So there's that level of gain, which is simply staying current. So you don't have a big backlog of unprocessed stuff the bigger your backlog of unprocessed stuff. If you've got 2,000 emails in there and some of them are yelling at you mm-hmm. you know, to deal with, then, then any new input or interruption feels like a bitch because, mm-hmm. God, that, that might be, I, you know, I, got, I got stuff to do, I don't even know what it is, and, and here's more, as opposed to, hey, I got a zero backlog, here's new stuff, that's cool, what is it, what, how, let me evaluate that against all the other stuff I have to do, mm-hmm. yes or no. Park it, someday maybe, no, not now. You know, yeah, let me do that tomorrow so it's a lot easier to deal with your life when your backlog is as minimal as possible so that takes an hour to hour and a half a day just to keep it that way and then there's once a week you need to step up and lift and look at your game and your life from a larger horizon you you need to manage the forest instead of just hugging the trees and so you need to step up and then look across usually at the project level that's the prime driver there what are all the things that you that you need to finish over the next week or months, you know, that's going to take more than one step to finish them. You know, get tires on your car, fix the watch, you know, hire an assistant, launch the ad campaign, increase your credit line. You know, those. and most people have 30 to a hundred of those and you don't need to spend every hour, every day thinking about all those, but you better give yourself at least once a week to think about all those and catch up and bring up the rear guard. Otherwise they'll nag at you all week. So, Building in both a you know, daily time to just catch up and stay current with your backlog and then some weekly review and operational review time. Those are just absolutely critical and very few people are doing that.
0: And, and what is, would you say, an estimate on the weekly review time if it's 60 to 90 minutes for the, the daily keeping the backlog down?
1: We suggest to people to, to block two hours if you can. You may not need all of that time and, and a lot of that time you'll actually be doing good work you know, you run down some constructive rabbit trails. Oh, here's a project. Let me grab five ideas about that project. Oh yeah. My next holiday. Oh, let me think, Oh God, you know, let me just call the hotel and see if I can change that reservation. So a lot of that stuff happens, you know, as you're reviewing your past calendar and your future calendar, as well as all your lists and so forth. And so a lot of work gets done then too. So it's not just two hours staring at your navel. You know, it's really two hours of really going through your stuff and and catching up and cleaning up you know, essentially, you know, your system so that you, you know, the next seven days, you, you don't need to do that kind of thinking again. You can just go out and go hard charging and, you know, and, and, and pick off your list.
0: Well, that's great. And, and I'd love to hear. So I, I imagine you've had this conversation many a time with uh, high powered executives where they say, you know, David, I can't make 60 to 90 minutes available every day to process this stuff. I got so many people that I, I need to go talk to, you know, meeting by meeting. Uh, how do you set them straight?
1: Well, I just had that conversation right before you and I got on this call together
0: <laughs> with uh, one of my clients. <laughs> yeah, and that's
1: exactly what he's dealing with. And, you know, it's going to take him a year probably to build that. I don't know. He's he's a fast study, so he may do it a lot faster. Uh, I've had some CEOs actually just block out called no meetings before 9 a.m. And then they come in seven thirty eight o'clock and use that to clean house and kind of get ready for the storm. You know, just takes that time to do it. Takes time to think, folks. Sorry. <laughs> and thinking is required for your work. So, you know, grow, grow up. <laughs> that's, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a required process, you know, defining what your work is, because, you know, Peter Drucker, the late great Peter Drucker, you know, when he started to describe knowledge work, he said that's the biggest challenge is defining what your work is, because it's not self-evident. That email doesn't tell you what you need to do about the email. You have to decide that.
0: Okay. And and I believe it. I, you know, I, I, that's kind of my experience of life. It's like there are certain things you just got to make the time for. And if you don't, you you suffer the consequences, whether it's nutrition or prayer or exercise or or, or GTD. And and, and yeah. I feel the effects when I neglect any of them.
1: You'll be driven by latest or loudest if you don't do this process. Mm hmm.
0: And so, let's say that for folks who they have, you know, they, they they love your stuff. They they try to apply it, but you know, from time to time, they they fall off the wagon. You know, the the, the stuff it, it it mounts, and they have a lot of things they ha- are handling and projects they're they're going after quickly, and, and they're not taking the time. They do have a backlog. There is a, a thousand or two emails screaming at them here and there. What do you do to pick yourself up and and get going?
1: You pick yourself up and get going.
0: Okay. <laughs> You
1: know, it's, it, it, come on, I, if you're not falling off your wagon regularly, you're probably not playing a big enough game. Hmm. You know, so it's not about always being in some sartorial zen mountaintop peaceful place. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. You know, it's really about just understanding the game. See, I define the game, how much you play the game, when you need to play the game, when you need to come back and regroup. That's up to you. You know, when do you need to call a timeout? That's up to the coach. You know, when, so, you know, it's you, you have to decide when is it time that I need to regroup so that I can feel a lot more comfortable about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. And that's, you know, that's an individual thing, but I defined how you get there, how soon you get there, how, how uncomfortable you allow yourself to get before you get there. That's up to your own comfort zone about it and, and your own life. But I at least define the game. And you know, the, the whole idea here is not that you're always in a peaceful state, but that you know how to get back there. We use the image of the surfer with the, with the ankle tether. You know, the really good surfers, they're going to fall off that board. Sure, because they they're out there for the adventure in the game, but they have an ankle tether on there, which basically means that they can get back on their board real quick. Mm-hmm. So GTD really is both the board and the ankle tether. It, it's like it will allow you to surf on top of your game, but when you fall off, that's okay. You can get back on real quick. It's very easy to fall off this game, but it's also very easy to get back on. All you got to do is empty your head out again, decide next actions on. The stuff that's got your attention, park those things along with all your other stuff, sit back and reflect on the whole inventory, and then watch how much more comfortable you feel about what you're doing. There's never an exception to that. I've never had anybody, I mean, you know, my book's 3 million copies in 30 languages, and nobody's ever said any of that's wrong. Everybody's always said, yeah, that's right, and I don't do it. <laughs> so, you know, you know, and there is a mark of maturity, Pete, that people get to with GTD. It takes a while to, to get there. But when those things that oftentimes spin people out of the GTD, there'll come a time when those things will spin you into GTD. Wow, I just got promoted. I just got fired. I just found out I have a life-threatening illness. I just suddenly had to take on my mom's elder care. Uh, wow, we just moved. Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, Any of those life transition times, You know, whether that throws you off this system or whether you then use this system to be able to navigate that, that's a, that's a mark of maturity in this process. And I got legions of testimonials about that.
0: Oh, that's that's good, and and inspiring. And I think I, I've gone both ways. So hopefully, we'll keep the proportion, move moving in the right direction in terms of of spinning into it. And, and so I had someone else ask; they wanted me to pass along the question. You know, how do you maintain the discipline to do the things that you you don't want to do? And he said he's probably just going to say you have to process from the top of your inbox all the way down. But ask him anyway. So. How do you maintain the, the discipline?
1: Well, you need to build in the rituals and the habits. Mm-hmm. You know, the ritual is, you know, I still I still hate dealing with stuff. <laughs> I still I, I have to deal with that email. But I'm so I'm so used to it. I've got the comfort zone of having a zeroed out in basket that I that It forces me to make those decisions. So building in the, the standard building in the essentially the addiction to clear space. You know, what do I need to do to get my space clear? You know, if I were to coach you or anybody, Pete, I'd just go, well, what has got, my, what's got your attention right now. What's most got your attention right now? Because what's got your attention is usually hung up because you're avoiding some decision about it or you haven't, uh, you know, parked the results in some trusted place. And so we'll find out, you don't have to go very far to see where to start to implement this stuff. Just say, well, wait a minute, what's, what's on your mind. And the problem is, you know, the, that most people have, I'll call it an addiction. They got used to that kind of pressure. And so If the good fairy showed up and disappeared, everybody's emails to zero right now. In about three weeks, everybody had pretty much the same number they have because it it doesn't have anything to do with volume. It has to do with your comfort zone of how much unprocessed stuff you'll tolerate. Mine is zero. It's never zero. There's always stuff coming in. You know, but zero is it's kind of like I'm not taking a shower right now while I'm talking to you either. But I don't go too long without getting one. You know, so... So, you know, I, I clean up my in basket to zero and do weekly reviews for the same reason that I brush my teeth and take showers. If I didn't, the scuzz factor just gets too high. So the main thing people have to do, I mean, I hate discipline. Discipline sounds like hard work and sweat. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. too lazy. I like direction. I need to direct myself to do this kind of thinking and decision making. That doesn't break a sweat. You know, maybe psychically it does. But, you know, I still, I still, you know, just get myself to do that because I want to get back to clear and clean again. So clear and clean is the desired state and, you know, you just need to get enough use to that, but you won't go too long before you brush your teeth or take your shower or empty your in-basket.
0: And when it comes to empty the in-basket, I think there are, there's many a blogger who will share their super efficient, productive life hack way of emptying their email inbox. What do you do? Would you, you got a stack of emails? What happens next?
1: I go through, you know, delete the spam to begin with. No, that's pretty easy. And, you know, if, as long as it's, you know, I'm looking at mine right now and I have ooh, one, two, three, four, five, I just had eight more come in. So I've got 11 right now in my end basket. And, you know, if it's not more than a screenful, I figure that I'll probably zero it out before the end of the day anyway. So I don't do anything with them other than look at which one I feel like doing right now. If my brain's kind of toast, I'm not going to go, you know, process my, my, you know, visa statement. Um, if my brain's toast, I'll probably look and see if there are any of these that are just CC, I'm CC'd on and just a little FYI, and I'll just get those out and get those out of the way. So I, yeah, I will tend to snack around my email, but only, but not if it's not if it's you know longer than two or three screenfuls. Then I'm going to start cranking down. And I, I do LIFO, last in first out, because of all the discussion threads. You know, that's easier mm-hmm. to deal with those to make sure that I don't you know don't miss anything in terms of the mature discussion or something.
0: Oh, that that makes sense. And with this next question, I don't want to sort of ignite a uh, a war, but uh, I can't help but notice that uh, you use a ThinkPad in your videos. And uh, I've got a good friend and roommate just got a ThinkPad. I said, oh, yeah, David Allen has a, uses a ThinkPad. He's like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> it's funny. The brands that we've associated with Macs are creative and, and ThinkPads are, you know, I'm cranking through productive work. Uh, what, what's your, your preference on the, on the Mac PC uh, scene and why?
1: You know, I've done both. I was PC for most of my, you know, professional life, and I jumped to Mac about oh three or four years ago, just so that I could get bilingual and and know what everybody was talking about. So you know, and I've stayed with Mac just because the the security and reliability factor, probably. You know, I just found you know better with the Macs. Oh. Uh, you know, so, some things, and I just switched. You know, from Quick and you know, I I kept a parallels on my Mac Pro like, so that I could use Windows basically because quicken for for uh which i use you know a good bit you know for uh the mac kind of sucked but it's now reasonably good so i was able to then dump parallel so now i just moved over fully to to one or the other but you know i i could switch back and forth to one or the other i had to give up some things that i have not been able to fully replace in the mac world that i was able to do in the pc but then there are a lot of advantages to things so it's six one half dozen the other Oh, but, look. you know, it's nice to kind of have all those together. And as as the world's improved and I've just, you know, got some coaching about the iCloud and sort of the newer versions of all this stuff that that doesn't really choke things up a lot. And, that, you know, there's I'm still kind of learning about about a lot of the cool things that you can do. But frankly, you know, doing work on the, both the iPad or the iPhone is silly You know, I like bigger space, so I've got a Thunderbolt screen I'm looking at right now that's much easier and much better both on the eyes as well as to do thinking at at there. And then the iPad and the iPhone just become the distribution channels for the results of that thinking. You know, so, you know, and there are a lot of cool things that you can do on them and you can, you know, great games you can play while you're waiting on the doctor as I did this morning. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) what the heck? I've heard you say that doing work on an iPhone can actually shrink your brain. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I've just discovered that the more space I give myself to think, the more, the better thinking I do. And so, you know, trying to do work on an iPhone is really constraining. You know, I need to be able to flip between a website that I want to go click at and I want to be able to look, look across a lot of different things and I want to see, see a lot of things. So just in my experience, yeah you know simple little yes no responses or whatever or you know little quick little two minute things you might would do with an email that, that's fine nothing nothing wrong with that so you know little little busy work stuff you just have to complete, sure you know you can use weird little windows of time out there for that very productively, but if you're sitting down and actually trying to craft a PowerPoint presentation or a you know draft a spreadsheet or a pro forma for a business plan, give me a break.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I... <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, I've got just a couple more before we shift gears to the, the fast faves. And, and one is, uh, what is your take on multitasking? Uh, some people swear by it. Others say, you know, the science so show shows that is a suboptimal means of, of, of using your time and attention. Where do you come out on the debate?
1: Well, you can't multitask in terms of conscious attention on more than one thing at a time. You can switch rapidly, and that's okay as long as some part of you doesn't have residue from what you're switching from the new thing mm-hmm. so you know um, unfortunately most people's brains are trying to multitask because they don't have a they don't trust their own system to keep track of something so if i'm talking to you about xyz say david would you get back to me on that say yeah i will get pete i'll get back to you about that and then somebody comes in and interrupts me and i didn't write that down then they're interrupting me but my brain's still going oh god but i, forgot. I told pete i told pete i told pete i told Pete. I told pete. And so now I'm actually trying to multitask, which I actually can't do. So I'm not present with either one. And that truly sub-optimizes your performance. If I make a note about Pete and get back to you about and throw that into my in-basket, when that person shows up, I can I give them my full attention. Why? Because I'm appropriately engaged with whatever that thought was. So, you know, like a martial artist that fights four people at once doesn't fight four people at once. It's one at a time. But they can rapidly refocus. They're just not carrying one to the next. So the ability to be able to switch focus is actually a craft and an art that you can learn to do very well, but not by trying to keep the stuff in your head. So, yeah, you know, all those studies that say, you know, basically you get interrupted to get back into the flow of your thinking again. Yeah, for sure. That's really true. But -hmm. sometimes... Sometimes that's actually – sometimes the brain actually needs to rest by snacking on email and just scattering around and then and wandering around and chatting with somebody. Because we know now from the cognitive science research that your brain as much needs relaxation and spontaneity and daydreaming as it does, you know, real attention focus in order to be able to then, you know, make that muscle optimal when you're really sitting down to craft the business plan or the PowerPoint presentation or, or – you know, or the 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 email you really got to struggle with to know, you know what to tell your partner. So those are the kind of things that yes, it's true, but it's it's not a simple black or white you know
0: equation. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, and and I also like your your take on it with so with the new edition which came out boy I guess a, a bit over a year ago now. I'm curious to know sort of what's new or what would you like to share about what's new in the new edition, and is there anything that you've kind of changed your mind on or renounced like that you know I used to say this sorry about that guys here's what uh, the research has shown or here's what I've come to discover
1: uh well I'll answer your last question first no I haven't changed my All mind right. about anything <laughs> essentially the methodology is is bulletproof it's been that way for you know I've been doing this for 35 years so uh you know it took 25 years before I wrote the book so this was pretty well tested stuff from the beginning in terms of the methodology itself What's changed is several things. One is the new cognitive science. I put a chapter in there about that. That's basically validated all this. Also, how I framed the description of this whole methodology more as a lifelong lifestyle art and craft of how you manage the flow of life's work, as opposed to just a targeted techniques for the high, you know, the high profile, high fast track professional, which the first edition was really targeted to that audience. Uh, but, you know, I, I even knew then this was a, as valuable for students or physicians or clergy or stay-at-home dads or anybody. You know, anybody who's got a busy life that wants to manage their stuff with less stress and more effectiveness. These techniques have worked forever. So the methodology itself didn't change. I rewrote the whole book. A lot of it was just transcribing it because as I rewrote it, I just wanted to say, well, I still, put, well, I still use the same terminology now, 15 years later. And a lot of it I did. I said, hey, well, that's good. I don't, there's no better way to say that than that. So a lot of it was just a rewrite of that. But there, there are some subtleties and some other things in there. It's more relaxed. It's more fun. It's easier to kind of get through. Uh, I'm more relaxed, not quite as self-conscious about trying to, you know, let people know how cool this is because <laughs> a lot of people really know, you know. And, you know, also big, that, that the audience is just a much bigger audience now than just the fast track professional. So really more examples about that, more about sort of all across the whole life and work spectrum. You know, and, and, and some of the terminology, some subtle changes in the terminology, like I changed collect to capture, mm-hmm. I changed process to clarify, and I changed review to reflect. Because I think those are more universal terms that really indicate more accurately how powerful this methodology really is in terms and potentially transformative in terms of just your experience in life.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you. So that, that just is further reinforcement that it's, it's good and it remains good. And you're tapping some universal kind of pieces associated with the, the, human, the human being and how we function.
1: I've had people read this book, read the first edition 10 times. They said it's a totally different book every time they read it. So frankly, <laughs> every time you read any of this material, you're going to hear it and see it and experience it from a different level because it does touch to so many different levels. Uh, you know, and you're only, your consciousness can only sort of take in a certain amount. You know, I, one of the things that I think when you say, you know, what would I change? What I really didn't understand was how overwhelming all this would be to most people. Hmm. I, I decided to put it all in the book because in case I got run over by a bus, I wanted to have the manual so that people could at least pick up the manual. And in case I didn't have time to share everything with them that I knew about this and that I thought was valuable, I wanted to put it, be able to put it in a reference material for people that wanted to dig into it at whatever level they wanted to dig into it. But, you know, over the years, I discovered that a lot of people look at the book and go, ah, my God, that's too much to do. Oh, my God, they look at it and they, they freak out. So, you know, one of the things I probably didn't realize or have come to realize, you know, over the years was how potentially overwhelming implementing this methodology may seem to a lot of people. And, you know, being a little more gracious and patient with how long it takes for people to really sort of integrate the various components and pieces of this, because though they're simple behaviors, it's not like a new language or a new technology for people to learn, they're all behaviors people actually know how to do already. You know how to write stuff down. You know how to decide a next action. You know how to make a list. You know how to look at a list and review it and reflect on it. You know, so there's no, no, there's no mystery in terms of the behaviors themselves, but to make these habitual processes as opposed to exceptional processes that can take quite a while for a lot of people to change those habits.
0: Yeah, and I also wanted to ask along those lines, if so I've, I've given away numerous copies of your book, Getting Things Done to People, and some of them read it, some of them intend to read it, you know, for years. And so I guess I'd love your take on, what have you found is sort of the optimal approach to enticing and onboarding folks? So maybe it's like they, they get a, a couple-minute taste with a video or something and they say, oh, wow, yes, I want to know more. Or is it just kind of varies for absolutely everybody and there's there's no a universal uh, prescription? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all.
1: Yes to all. I mean, but, you know, probably the best thing to do is 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 to actually start to do it and demonstrate it for yourself and look like you're having a great time and people <laughs> go, what, are you, you know, what did you do? And say, Ooh. well, you're not old enough yet.
0: You know, uh, back when uh, you, I'll have what he's back. having.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> well, perfect. Well, is there anything else you wanted to share before we kind of shift gears into the, the rapid fire fast faves? mm No. All good. All right. Well, can you start us off by uh, sharing uh, a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring?
1: Let go and let God.
0: All right. And how about a, a favorite study or experiment or piece of research you find yourself thinking about or referencing frequently?
1: Uh, I think uh, most recently, it's a book called Brain Chains by Theo Compernale, a Belgian researcher, a physician, cognitive scientist about the, the limitations of your brain and the dangers of the digital world. Yeah. So it you know has a lot to do with, uh, you know, with my methodology. And uh, so I, I'm referring to that a lot. Uh,
0: that's great. How about maybe a favorite habit, uh, a personal practice of yours that you found instrumental? And it might just be all of GTD or is there something else that works for you personally in addition to that?
1: No, you know, I, I can't come up with any more than other than emptying my in basket. I mean, that's that just makes my life work, you know, and keeps it nice and clean and flowing. So, uh, I don't know that there's any better one than that. Walking, you know, you know, when with my dog when I'm, you know, in town and you know, relaxing and doing nothing, you know, I think I think your ability to to do nothing with a vengeance is a, a hallmark of how well you do GTD. And you know, I love doing nothing regularly. So. <laughs> Uh, that, that's another another good another good habit
0: that reminds me of office space if I had a million dollars I'd do nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and how about a, a favorite nugget something that w- when you share you see people where they really nod their heads the, there's the Kindle highlights in, in the book or it gets retweeted uh, what are some of those gems?
1: oh god I've come up with a thousand oh, you're, you're extremely yeah, quotable I, mean. <laughs> I, I, I my Twitter, you know, probably the favorite one is one that we just stuck up there because it seems to resonate with most people. Is your heads for having ideas, not for holding them? Mm-hmm.
0: Lovely. And and who do you look up to? Is there a key role model that uh, you you've taken a lot of, of wisdom and inspiration from over your life?
1: Yeah, you know, my spiritual coach, a guy named John Roger. He died last year, right? and it was a it was probably the 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 one single person who was most instrumental as a mentor and, and coach for me in terms of my inner life and how that affected my outer life. And so, you know, I met him in 1971 and hung out with him for, gee, you know, 45 years.
0: Oh, wow. And um, as we conclude, do you have a favorite, maybe a call to action or, or challenge for folks? Uh, yeah, relax. Oh, that's good. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more about you, GTD, the David Allen Company, where would you point them?
1: Gettingthingsdone.com. Pretty easy. Lots of ways to play.
0: Perfect. Well, David, this has been a complete treat. I wish you the very best, and thanks so much for making this time. My pleasure, Pete. Thanks. Well, I hope you got a real kick out of that conversation. Please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F15 to start getting a handle on this stuff. I'm a huge fan of his book, his system, and you can check out all kinds of handy resources to get a little bit of a taste and then a little bit more to start bringing things a bit more in control. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.